values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And thanks for being here. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, it's the Mike Broomhead Show podcast. Download it on any device you have. It's very simple. Never miss a minute of the show. Listen at your convenience. This week, the podcast brought to you by Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty, East Valley. Get a higher price selling your home. Get guaranteed offers by going to higherprice.com. It's higherprice.com. Talked earlier, played some comments from the president yesterday as he was in town touting the chip-making plant, the manufacturing plant TSMC is building. Their new investment, they originally invested $12 billion in the first phase of this plant. They now have another one that is going to go in, and it's going to be a total of a $40 billion investment here in Arizona. That is great news for the state of Arizona. It continues to show what intentional growth looks like when you are focused on something as important as diversifying the economy. And I know I've gone into great lengths in talking about this, but unless if you're new to Arizona, this may not be something you're very familiar with. But when the recession hit Arizona in 2008, 2009, um, when it hit the whole country, Arizona was so adversely affected because we had so much of our investment in our economy in the construction world. When that housing bubble burst and we saw that there was such a huge downturn, um, Arizona per capita was in the worst deficit problem in the state, you know, the state coffers as any state in the nation. And it was in a very, very bad place and some very difficult decisions were made by our former governor, Jan Brewer. And uh, she ruffled a lot of feathers in her own party, uh, and uh, some difficult decisions had to be made along with the state legislature, and they made those decisions were able to stop the bleeding. And the rebuilding began when uh, Governor Ducey was elected, and they went into a different direction. So there are a lot of things that happen in Arizona that, that we see that are great events. We just found out, I guess, Final Four is going to be here again. We've had the Fiesta Bowl is right around the corner. It's going to be a great game. Michigan TCU, going to be a lot of attention that's paid here in Arizona. We have Super Bowls that are here. As a matter of fact, the next Super Bowl in February will be right here the same weekend as the Waste Management Phoenix Open that goes on that the Thunderbirds put on every year at Scottsdale TPC. And when we see those events, they're big parties. They are they do raise a lot of money individually the days when they're here for the time that they are here. Uh, and I love them all. I think it's fantastic a fantastic way to show off Arizona. But when you use those events, when you have something like when you, one of the things that I used to watch when you go to the Waste Management Phoenix Open, especially when it's Super Bowl weekend, um, when, because it's Super Bowl weekend every year. But when the Super Bowl is here, um, watching the private planes land at Scottsdale Airport, when the barons of industry, when the real power brokers out there um, are are coming into Arizona and the governor and the Chamber of Commerce and Chamber of Commerce for the state and for individual cities. But when we roll out the red carpet for these people that are barons of industry and when it's explained to them in a way that we are, be, we are going to be more business friendly, that we are going to make sure that it's a fair tax base, fair to the people of Arizona, fair to the businesses that are going to come here. We also are going to make things easier for business with lower regulation, but we're also taking our relationship with the business community seriously, that diversifying the Arizona economy is job one. When you do that and you get this kind of a response, look at what's happened with Apple coming here and other major corporations coming here, TSMC with a $40 billion investment in Arizona. What that's going to do far and wide around that chip plant is huge for the state of Arizona. You know, I I would love I would love nothing more 
than to be sitting behind this microphone six months from now, seven months from now, and say that our economy has avoided a recession. Now, most people are, not, are saying that's not going to happen, that there's going to be a recession. I don't want to see people lose their jobs. In order to drive down inflation, they are intentionally slowing down the economy, slowing down the economy and having it go in reverse are two different things. How high are they going to raise interest rates? There was a good jobs report again that just came out. So does that mean we're going to see another a bit, uh, you know, half a percent or five basis points of a, of a rise? If that's going to happen, at what point does it do serious damage to the industries in Arizona or anywhere else in the country? But we are much in a much better position to withstand whatever's going to happen. And it's because of the way our economy is run. The idea of Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat, right versus left all the time with every piece of a policy doesn't make sense to me because you have to look at what works. When it comes to the economy, a small government plan works better for more people. And so for anybody out there that has been listening to their entire life, keep hearing how um, the left is going to make your life better. They're fighting for you. They're standing in the gap. The principle that says the rich are taking advantage of you if the government doesn't step in and stop them from doing that. How, how has your life improved? How, how much have they improved your life? Opportunity is the only thing that can be afforded you to get you out of a bad position. And the way you do that is when more people are making and keeping more money. A tax cut, a tax cut from the government is not them giving anything to anyone. They're not giving corporations billions of dollars when they cut their taxes. What they're doing is not taking billions from them. They're taking less money from them. And, and that's where I think the mindset shift or maybe the mindset difference lies between people that are tax and spend when they believe that if you have more, we're entitled to take more. And when we take more, it makes other people's lives better. And it, it doesn't usually work out that way. There is a reason why government jobs offer great benefits and government jobs offer all of these other things and these other tangible things that private industry sometimes can't. A small business owner can't offer the same package that a government job does with a pension plan and the sick days and 401k and matching. All of those things can't be matched by a lot of small businesses because they're taking the money from the small businesses to offer those benefits to the people that work in government. So I'm not an anti-government person at all. Not at all. But I am not someone who thinks an expanded government ever seems to solve the problem they say that it's going to solve. So when you look at the policies of this administration and the tax and spend policies that they employ, I would submit that the problem lies in the policies of the, of, of the U.S. government and the way that they handle things. And um, – you know, when someone says this is we've got worldwide inflation, it's not it's not all Joe Biden's fault, but they are not doing anything to ease this. Look no further than Gavin Newsom's plan in California. Gavin Newsom wants to add a tax on the obscene profit, his word, not mine, that are, that oil companies are making. Somehow that's going to lower costs and make things better for people in California. What it is, is it's a punitive tax that's not going to help anybody but the government in California. And it makes some people feel better. The very same oil companies, the very same oil companies that are now gouging, remember the word, gouging are the very same oil companies that for four straight years sold you gasoline for under $3 a gallon.
Same companies, same policies, same boards of directors, same everything. So what changed? How did, why were their minds changed? Why are they now price gouging? It's a, it's a question worth exploring. I think everyone needs to explore it. Bipartisan immigration deal possibly in the Senate. We're going to talk about what's in it and who's in favor of it. All coming up here in just a couple of moments. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. President of the United States in Arizona didn't visit the border, said there was more important things going on, which uh, did not did not really go well for him. There's a lot of people that were upset by that statement, including the sheriff down in Yuma County and others, because it's affecting so many people. We have attacked this from so many different angles and what the issues are related to the border. And I just I look at this and I think there's no way that the White House doesn't see it this way, but they don't. The White House sees this, and I saw another interview with the president where he was talking about how there are people that come to this country legally and illegally that are helping the economy of America. And I would say to him, we understand what all of that is, but why wouldn't we have find a mechanism to get people here legally, get people to come the right way? I've talked about my friends in the construction industry for years and years and years. I have a friend who has a, a big framing and drywall company, and he's been around for 20-plus years in business. And they use a lot of temporary labor because they cannot find people to work full-time. They could hire 30 or 40 people at times, and it doesn't work out. Nobody shows up. Put an ad in, three people show up. To For an interview, one person shows up on a job site. They don't stay very long, and there are a lot of people that are crossing our border here illegally. We could fix this problem by vetting these people properly and doing the right thing, by having them go through a system that's different than the one we have now. We understand that when you have a rule in place and people abuse the rules, whatever that is, whether it's a, a law in a town or a state or the federal government, or it's a rule that a business has, when somebody starts taking taking advantage of something, misinterpreting it, taking advantage of it, you change it to make sure that they can't do that anymore. So the immigration deal right now that's being discussed right now would include a pathway to citizenship for two million dreamers. It would include resources to speed up the asylum processing and removal um, of, of people, more funding for border officers, one-year extension of Title 42. It would need to make it through both the House and the Senate before the end of December. So it, is this going to be uh, easy to do? The answer is it is not going to be easy. North Carolina Republican Tom Tillis and Arizona Democrat Kirsten Cinema have reached a framework deal on this. We'll see how far it goes. We will see if it gets passed. The need for immigration reform exists. The need for a workforce exists, and the two of them are not mutually exclusive. What we should be doing is turning people around at the border, telling them to apply for a visa, having a visa program in place that allows people to come here for jobs, and then they can get on a pathway to citizenship if they stay in good standing in their jobs, if they stay employed, if they don't break the law, they can get a green card and they can move towards citizenship in the U.S. That's what earning citizenship is supposed to be. Talk to legal immigrants. This is the other thing that frustrates me so much is I know so many legal immigrants to this country. 
and you talk to them about with what they went through to become citizens, the trials and tribulations of becoming an American citizen, but how worth it it is. And I would say all of us, if you think about it, I, I would venture to guess that about 90% of the people that are listening here have seen either on TV or in person have seen part of a naturalization ceremony where people are sworn in as American citizens. It's usually on the 4th of July. You see people waving small American flags. And most of us pause and are honored by that. But what we're doing right now is taking away from that. When you call everybody a migrant, when everybody's a migrant, that's not that's not the case. Um, that's like that's like calling a shoplifter a customer. I don't want to insult someone. You know, uh, the, the term illegal and all the different terms that are no longer politically correct because we don't want to insult people. I understand that. I don't want to be insulting to people either. But you can't call everybody a migrant, just like you can't call everybody in a store a customer. If I go in there and I purchase things and someone else goes in there and steals things, I'm a customer. That other person is a shoplifter. Well, they could be have hungry children. You're right. This is the other thing in that argument that I make. We understand that there are people that come across this border that are desperate, just like there are people that are literally in a grocery store taking items to feed their children. Doesn't make it right. Doesn't mean you condone it. Doesn't mean you allow it to go on. But you understand that as opposed to someone who is, you know, stealing, you know, crab legs or or steaks and putting them in their pants. We, we understand the difference of motivation, but you still don't ever call those people a customer. And the reason why you don't do that is because a customer is someone that's there doing the right thing and a shoplifter is in there doing the wrong thing. I'm not trying to denigrate. I'm not trying to insult. But if we don't make the distinction, we don't ever have to fix the problem. If we keep doing piecemeal solutions to the problems of the dreamers, we don't have to solve the problem for the dreamers. The dreamers now have in-state tuition. Great. What about what do they do after college? What about the fact that they're still not legal citizens in the U.S.? What are we going to do with that? What about the next generation we've created, which we are doing right now with the huge numbers of people at our border? And instead of us having as a, as a united front, the United States citizens as a united front demanding that our federal government give us an immigration system that we can be proud of, we fight in political parties. People on the left know this is wrong. People on the left understand that this is is not good for the U.S. economy and it's not good for the people that are crossing. The only people that benefit are the cartels. And if we would focus on that, if we would make sure we're telling that story, that it's only the cartels that are benefiting from what's happening at the border, maybe the attitudes of the American people would force the hand of the administration to do something. Just maybe. In a moment, violence is increasing across the country. We're going to talk about major cities, what they're doing about it, and who's complaining the loudest. Next. Street. 
strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. We talk about violence, crime, and punishment, another frequent topic on the show. Just go through some of the headlines. Phoenix, uh, Philadelphia violence off the chain, says lead agent hired to protect a local gas station. Local gas station in uh, in uh, Philadelphia had to hire private security. Uh, Walmart could close stores and hike prices because of scourge of shoplifting. Nearly 40 people robbed by armed groups over the weekend in Chicago. Um Suspect in the Colorado Springs attack charged with murder and hate crimes. Um, so when you look at some of the headlines and what's going on, I found it interesting that in uh, especially when you're talking about Chicago and other places saying that, you know, the police are starting to speak up and say we have a we have people that are supposed to be prosecuting crimes that are actually um, working like social workers. And that's where the danger lies is when you don't have that relationship, which I've talked about at great length. That We talk about policing, and I, I will tell you we, we need more police officers. I think that's a given for most people. We need more cops on the street. The problem is even when you have more cops making cases, if you don't have prosecutors that are prosecuting those cases, criminals understand that. There's a reason why the um, gangs – and the gangs that make a living selling drugs on the streets, and most of them do, why gangs use juveniles to carry the drugs and the money. Because it's known that a juvenile is going to not get into trouble, that they are going to then – they're going to go through the revolving door of the system multiple times before they ever really see any jail time. And the kids know it as well. It's more of an inconvenience to get caught than it is anything else. So there's a reason why they use juveniles. There's a reason. Now, I'm not saying that we should start giving juveniles adult records. I'm just explaining the scenario. Why kids that steal cars, there was, and I'm sure they're, they're called this everywhere, but in my hometown, they had the GTA, the Grand Theft Auto Club. And these were high school kids, many of them too young to drive, some of them middle school kids. We're talking kids between 12 and 14, 15 years old sometimes, out stealing cars, understanding that they're going to get a slap on the wrist compared to what an adult would get if caught committing the same crime. The criminals understand the system because they're in it, and they find ways around it. And if we don't find ways to punish people, then people continue to commit crimes. The focus has always been about the firearms that are used, and people want to take guns off the streets. That's never solved the problem. You look at how it affects you and I. We pay more for the things that we buy because stores make up for some of their losses due to shoplifting by charging more prices, more higher prices, a little bit of it to people like you and I to make up for the loss that they factor into the cost of doing business. Walmart is actually talking about in some places closing down stores and raising prices because of the immense amount of shoplifting that's happening now. There's another story out of Florida where uh, an 80, I think he's 80 years old, a, a person that worked at Home Depot tried to stop a guy from stealing some pressure washers and got pushed out of the way, never walked again, and then died weeks later from his injuries. And we have to – there has to be a line drawn in society that doesn't tolerate things. 
The reason why they don't want citizens intervening is because citizens get hurt or killed. But at some point as a society, we have got to stand up that this is part of that pendulum swing we talk about. The three strikes law that came into effect during the Clinton administration was one response to the fact that there are career criminals out there in the revolving door of the justice system that continue to evade uh, long prison sentences. So if you got three felonies, that was your third strike. You spent an extended period of time in prison. Now, a lot of times it was possession of drugs with a lot of that got reversed. Well, then the pendulum swung in the other direction as recently as a couple of years ago where we were letting people out of prison and we were not punishing people for the crimes they've committed. If you look in places like L.A. County, it happened up in San Francisco by actually the same person. And uh, George Gascon, who at one time was the police chief in the city of Tempe, where they have these watered down policies and revolving door where they're releasing people on their own recognizance. All and they say in the name of being racially fair that um, that it, it is more and more people of color that don't have the ability to pay high bail. So they sit in jail waiting for trial while other people are able to walk on the streets. Well, here's what ends up happening. I don't care what color your skin is. If you're a criminal and you're out there preying on society. Society, and you get arrested and they take you into the system and they put you into the system and you walk out the door without it costing you anything and you skip bail, you're already a criminal. Let's be honest. You're somebody that doesn't care about the existing laws. You're committing violent crimes against people, armed robberies, strong armed robberies, whatever you want to call them. You're stealing from people, smashing grabs. And a judge is telling you, all right, now make sure you show up for your court date, and they're letting you go. There is no punishment there. There is no cost. And we're seeing more and more crimes being committed. Um, the Phoenix Union High School District, well, they're middle schools and high schools, but the Phoenix Union um, is contemplating more police officers on campuses again. It was a couple of years ago when they got rid of school resource officers and politically motivated because there were some kids, some of the students said they didn't feel comfortable around the police. We all know that was all a part of the defund the police movement. Well, now they're taking community input because violence is ticked up in schools. So have violent threats against schools that now they're talking about putting cops back on campus. It was a failed experiment. There is a segment of our society that commits crimes, and it's usually the same segment over and over again. Now, I am someone that firmly believes in redemption. I firmly believe that people can change. I firmly believe that people should pay their penalty and they should be able to assimilate back into society and they should get a second chance. And as long as they show themselves to be worthy of that second chance, they should be accepted. No doubt about it. And teenagers especially, the worst thing that happens at times is when a bad kid who usually turns out to be a good adult, if they live long, long enough, you know, they get straightened out, doesn't have that opportunity because they commit a crime so bad they go to prison or they end up dying because they're involved in serious crimes. It's tragic. But less police is not the answer. Less prosecution is not the answer. And this is where we criminals have to know that society is not going to tolerate criminal behavior. When you prey upon good law-abiding citizens, if you're going to break into cars, if you're going to break into homes, if you're going to pickpocket, if you're going to any, if you're going to do these things, you're going to pay a heavy price. And for the victims of these crimes, I don't know if any of you out there have been a victim, and I pray that you, if you haven't, that you never are. But I've been the victim of a crime. When you're the victim of a crime, you want justice, especially if you handle it the right way. 
Street justice isn't tolerated. You're not supposed to take the law into your own hands. You're supposed to call the police, let the police handle it. Then when they don't, when either the police don't handle it or they do handle it and nothing gets prosecuted, there's nothing more frustrating. There is nothing more frustrating than getting a phone call that says, we know this person did it. We know you've been wronged, but we're not going to prosecute. It is an infuriating feeling. Did everything right. Called the cops, didn't take the law into my own hands. I let you handle it, and you didn't handle it. That's where street justice comes in. I'm not advocating for it, but that's why people do it. And we should be learning lessons from some of these other big cities. Earlier, we talked about a case in front of the Supreme Court that has to do with whether or not someone has to perform or their skills has to do what they're asked when it comes to same-sex marriages. It's an LGBTQ community question. Well, I'm going to flip the script on that. There is another question being asked now about someone that didn't want to serve a religious organization. Should they be allowed to do that? We'll talk about that in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. I was using analogies. I, I try to compare a lot of different things and look at different angles at stories when they come out and try to form an opinion based on that. And so the story has been out about a another uh, business that does not want to perform for same-sex weddings. This is a woman, I believe, that does web design for weddings, and she doesn't want to design websites for same-sex couples that are getting married because she said it violates her religious principles. And so this case is before the Supreme Court, and there are a lot of questions whether it's baking a cake or Otherwise, and I've stated my opinions on this over and over and over again on what people should and shouldn't have to be forced to do, especially if it violates your principles. And I said, so what happens if, it, if the reverse? And I was using something that was made up. It was just a hypothetical. This is real. Uh, in Virginia, a restaurant canceled a Christian group's uh, dinner party at the last minute after the LGBTQ staffers refused to work the event. The restaurant put out a statement saying it was a group of donors to a political organization that seeks to deprive women and LGBTQ plus persons of their basic human rights in Virginia. So now, if you are someone that believes that a web designer should be forced to design websites for gay couples and their weddings, you think that they must do this. Then you have to say these people should have been forced to work this party. And I will tell you, no, they shouldn't. You have a right as a business owner to refuse service to people. Now, I go, and then someone jumps to the question, what if it was an interracial couple? What do you mean if what it was? Into, we're going to jump now to that conclusion. I will tell you that bigots exist. I will also tell you that if I owned a business, I don't care who I would do business with. For the most part, I would do business with them. But if something violated my principles, I wouldn't. Someone that owns a, a Muslim that owns a catering company should not be forced to cook pork. Neither should uh, a Jewish caterer. Should they be forced to cook pork? If it violates their religious principles, they shouldn't be forced to do it. Here, this isn't a religious principle. This is somebody that says it's my principles. I'm standing on my principles. The analogy I always use, the hypothetical situation I used was if you were a caterer and you were pro-choice and I was having a fundraiser for a pro-life organization, 
should you be forced to make the food for my fundraiser? The answer is no. If your principles say, I am pro-choice and I'm not going to help somebody raise money for a pro-life organization, you should be able to walk away. This idea – when I was – you know, we all are uh, different ages, but when I was younger, the the gay rights movement, as what it was used to be called, is they were – it was gay rights. They wanted to be left alone. They didn't want my religious beliefs or whoever's religious beliefs to force them into changing the way they live their lives. That they should be able to live their life any way they want to without intrusion from my religious beliefs. Now what it has become is a movement that says you are going to condone and take part or you're in violation. That's, they have so overcorrected in this area. Not, and I will tell you this. The, the people that I know, that I talk with, that I am friends with. Don't want you in their business. People that are gay do not want you in their business. They want to live their lives. They want to be left alone. They're not using their marriage as a political statement. They're not going to politicize their wedding. If they're if they're putting down really good money to pay for a wedding, they want to do business with people that want to do business with them. The idea that you're going to force someone to do business with you is a political statement. Now you're bringing your po- political beliefs into your wedding. Say whatever you want. Go online. Say this company doesn't want my money, doesn't want to do business with me. They're not gay friendly. Whatever you want. And if it damages that business, so be it. That's what the market says. But for the government to step in and try to say someone has to because now this is a real situation here was a party that was booked in advance they show up for this private dinner party at a restaurant and the restaurant says we can't seat you we can't take you because the lgbtq employees here at this restaurant refuse to work your party because they don't want any part of your fundraiser because they believe you're trying to take their rights away Should they be forced to do it? Should that restaurant owner be forced to take that party? And should that party not be concerned about the food that's being prepared by people that hate them? Or do they do what they've done here and take it to the press? And then let people decide what what should happen with this, what the market should do to a restaurant that thinks this way. And so this is a real life conversation that that's not condoning bigotry. It's not condoning anything. It is saying that people have a right to be who they are, say what they say, believe what they believe, and you can't force them to behave in a way that they don't believe in. I just think it's a great example of what we've talked about on so many occasions. And now this is real life. If you believe that somebody should be forced to participate in a same-sex wedding, then you have to believe that the LGBTQ workers in a restaurant should be forced to work that party. Not just fired if they don't do it. The government should arrest them because these business owners have been arrested and fined big amounts of money when they didn't participate. Freedom is is still freedom. You still have the right to your beliefs and to act in a way you think is appropriate. Coming up just after 11 o'clock, we're going to talk about the economy as the president visits a chip plant. All that's coming up next.